0: Welcome to this episode of Woman to Woman. Our guest today is Ambri Brown Morley. She's a senior director commercial communications at Novo Nordisk, where she oversees a team responsible for internal and external diabetes and obesity public relation activities. She also leads communications around product and scientific data, commercial sponsorships and strategic patient and celebrity engagements. An award-winning communications professional and formal journalist, worked in a global communications roles, Copenhagen, Denmark, and US. In 2019, she completed a short-term assignment in Tokyo, Japan. In 2015, she was named a rising star by the Healthcare Business Women's Association. And in 2019, Novo Nordisk named her Working Mother of the Year. Ambry is a co-founder of African-Americans in Novo Nordisk and recently completed a diversity and inclusion certificate course at Cornell University. She's a board member of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Mercer County, the Healthcare Business Women's Association, and an active founding member and former treasurer of Women of Color in Pharma, LLC. Welcome, Ambry. We're so glad to have you today. I'm so happy
1: to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: I have known you for many, many years. So um, I I know you to be a very dynamic, very energetic and very impactful woman. So all these awards are well-deserved and absolutely you deserve each and every one of them.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. We go way back. I mean, just, it's so fun to see you right now.
0: I do know you quite a bit from the time uh, we started working together, which was a couple of years ago. But can you talk a little bit about your childhood? You know, how was your childhood? What, what were some of the things that actually made you you?
1: So I grew up in Florence, Alabama. And I would say that's something that not a lot of people know about me. But actually, if you know me, you know that I'm from the South and you know that I'm from Alabama. So growing up, I have two sisters and I am the quintessential middle child. You know, everything you hear about middle children, that's me. And I try to warn my friends that have three kids, watch out for that middle one. Um, Two sisters and we're right, uh, we're six years apart. So my oldest sister is almost like my youngest sister's mother because, you know, she kind of had that nurturing spirit and I was the one who fought with both of them you know I got on each of their nerves and and everything else so you know growing up in the south um I like to tell people you you know you don't have a lot to do. So we grew up and we went outside, you know, we played outside until the streetlight came on and, you know, we found ways to keep ourselves occupied. My grandparents on both sides were from Mississippi. So in addition to growing up in Alabama, I spent my summers in Mississippi. So, you know, just wonderful childhood, honestly, in that, you know, we ate dinner together every night. We, um, we didn't you know, we didn't have a lot of the things that that the kids have now. My parents didn't have a whole lot of money, but they made sure that my childhood was one that I could um, I could remember and look back on in fondness. And even when my my parents divorced when I was eleven, my mother at one point she remains my my hero because at one point my mother worked three different jobs. Um, to make sure that me and my sisters were able to do the things that we wanted to do and that she wanted to do for us. And while she was a single mom, my mother was a, a Fulbright Award winner. And the love that I have for travel came from my mother because she worked her way through graduate school and won a Fulbright Award. And I remember her first international trip was to Guatemala. And she never looked back after that. And so she instilled in me this love for other cultures and for, you know, doing different things. And and it's funny as I think about that now, because I've had two different international assignments and both times my mother has come with me. And, you know, it's it's really a full circle moment that I hadn't really thought about up until now.
0: That must have been exciting, though, to have your mother with you on these journeys, especially. She's the one who instilled this love for travel for you. How was it like to have her there and be part you know, of the experience?
1: I, I honestly just thought about that right now. When I worked in Copenhagen in 2011, that was an interesting assignment because that's when we worked together, actually, when we yeah. were working on the product launch. And so I'd go to Copenhagen for a week and I'd come home for three. And so during one of those times where I think I had an extended stay into Copenhagen, my mother brought my son over to visit. And so it was just this beautiful experience and just seeing her. And I'll never forget, there was a tornado in Alabama. And so her flight was delayed and then she was delayed getting to my son. And then when they took off, they missed their flight and my mother was in Germany at some point. I have no idea. And this was before cell phones were really, you know, everybody had them or at least had an international phone. It was so much fun, though. But we have stories to tell about that. And then when I went to Japan, my mother brought my son because I was already there. So she brought my son over and they stayed for five and a half weeks. And so my, I wanted them to get the experience. But we put my son in a summer camp in Tokyo. So part of what my mom would do is she would take my son to to summer camp and then I'd call her during the day because by now everybody has a cell phone, you know, and you can use it all over the world. So I call her and I'd be like, where are you? And she's like, I really don't know. My mother took the train. She took the bus. She would be in all types of areas all over Tokyo so that when we would hang out on the weekend, because I made sure we did something every single weekend. And so when, when we would hang out, she'd be like, oh yeah, I've been here. Or we should go out this door. Like, how do you know this? She was like, oh, I was here on Tuesday. And so she just explored Tokyo like nobody's business. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. We had a ball.
0: So do you think all of these experiences, uh, working out of country, so, you know, people visit, they go visit for a few days, come back, but living there, working there is a totally different experience. It is. Do you think that really has helped you become a better professional, a better individual?
1: It has helped give me perspective because understanding a different culture, I believe is so important to understanding diversity. And so in understanding differences, and it's particularly when you go to another culture where nobody looks like you, right? And so the the tables are turned. And I deal with that a lot just in general of being an African-American professional, but imagine being an African American professional in Tokyo, Japan, which is a very, you know, unilateral society if you will where everybody looks the same. You know, there's there's no way that you you can't stick out. I remember one time going on a field ride with one of my colleagues and we were with a representative and I was wearing a black dress but it was sleeveless and in Japan that's not really, you know, you don't really do that. So I had a blazer on top of it but the blazer was this bright orange color. And so my colleague was like, Ambrysan, cause you, you know, say, address people formally. and He said, your your blazer is beautiful, but I'm gonna need you to take it off because it's too bright and you're gonna draw attention. And so I looked at him and I said, honey, I'm already drawing attention. Yes. <laughs> and he just laughed because I think the irony of it. <laughs> was whether or not I want to or not they know I'm here
0: (laughs) that is so funny (laughs) yeah I
1: was like trust me I'm already getting some attention
0: so you started your career as a journalist right and you kind of moved into pharma. so what made you move was that the plan all along or did things happened that just, you ended up in pharma and then found you No, it.
1: pharma was not the plan. I, um, I remember growing up, you know, I wanted to be a journalist. Like, you know, I was growing up when Oprah Winfrey was hitting her stride and I thought, wow, I want to be Oprah. And I even got a scholarship, not in journalism, but a scholarship in biology, to attend Tennessee State University. And that is the college that Oprah went to. So I was like, yes, I'm gonna be there. And even though I was a biology major, I still worked on the college paper. I, I ultimately worked my way up to editor of the college paper so much so that I was able to give the university back my, journal, my um, biology scholarship and ask for a journalism scholarship. And they gave it to me um, in, the, in the communications department. So in college, I had five different internships, and uh, my last internship was at the Philadelphia Inquirer. And while I was there, um, the summer before my senior year, they actually offered me an opportunity to come back um, after I graduated in a full-time role. So I went back to, to Philadelphia. Then after I was working there, I got an offer from Bloomberg News, And the offer from Bloomberg was to come and join. And and when I was in Philadelphia, I was on the business desk. And so I had become a business reporter. And so um, the offer from Bloomberg was to continue my business reporting, but also join a a special assignment team. So I was on the GA team where I would come in at five o'clock in the morning and I would literally take over the newsroom from the UK and we would go through all of the top headlines, Um, in the Wall Street Journal that morning. And so my goal was to make sure that we either already had a story about the top 10 things in the Wall Street Journal. And if we didn't have a story, I had to write a story. And it was like, even if it was like two sentences, I had to start the story off just to hand it off to the reporter who might show up at eight o'clock. It was a wonderful training ground though, because I learned so much about business and so much about how the stock market works and derivatives and and anything else that you could think of. And I ultimately um, decided that I wanted to specialize in healthcare reporting. And um, I started covering medical device companies. And then I worked my way up to big pharma. Anybody who's worked at a wire service knows that it could be very challenging and very stressful. Right. And so by a few years in, I was kind of getting just a little bit tired because you're always on deadline and you're always on. And so pretty much with uh, Bloomberg at the time, if the market was open, we were working. And so, you know, it was just always constant. So I started talking to some people um, at some of the companies that I was covering that, you know, I was thinking of making a career change. And if they thought I would be good at doing public relations work. And everybody was like, oh, you totally be good. But then it wasn't like there were, it was like a, a pathway for me to get into that career, right? Because I had a very specific skill. I was a reporter, I was a journalist, you know, I didn't necessarily know how to do the PR, the public relations stuff. And I just knew what they did or what I thought they did looking from the outside in. I'll never forget talking to some of my colleagues, my um, people that I worked with at Johnson & Johnson. And so sooner or later, people started introducing me to certain people. It literally took a year, Divya, but they created a job for me at Johnson & Johnson that would allow me to use my skills as a journalist to help train um, senior executives on how to better manage their work with the media. It was it was honestly a dream come true for me, and um, I was so fortunate to to be able to do that. And it was a little bit bittersweet because I I I did at a, at one time think that I was going to be a journalist forever, and so you know in taking that role, I was kind of giving up my desire to to be Oprah, right? But at the same time, I knew that it was a great opportunity for me to do something that would allow me to show a different skill set, to learn something new, and then to be on the other side. And it ended up being one of the best career decisions that I I ever made.
0: Yeah, I remember doing media training with you. That was so much fun. And you brought, (laughs) brought so much like unique perspective to things, right? And you never realized that being recorded looking at things and then getting tips. You were awesome with that. Yeah. So somebody starting who wants to be, so you wanted to be Oprah. I'm sure there are kids now who want to be you. Where should they start? Is journalism the right path to go? Are there other ways of getting where you are in communications? Uh, What would you suggest?
1: I fundamentally think that writing is a skill that is so overlooked. And that if you are a good writer, And if you can break down complex information and make it plain for people, that is something that no one can ever take away from you. And I feel that there's also something to be said about gathering other skills to do the work that somebody like me can do. So if you're taking marketing classes, if you're taking business classes, if you're taking, you know, English or, or popular culture classes, it's, it's one of these things that I don't feel like I'm an expert in any one thing, but I do a lot of things. And I know just a little bit about a whole lot. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you want to make sure that, that you can write and also that you're well-read. It's not just reading what you see on Facebook. But I, re- I still, to this day, I read three newspapers every single day. I read the New York Times. I actually read USA Today because it's in small little snippets, but it's also very easy to consume. So I kind of read that throughout the day and I read the Washington Post. And I'll, well, actually I read four because I don't read it from cover to cover, but I do read the Wall Street Journal as well. So, and that I don't think I'll ever give up because it's ingrained in me from all of those years that I had to read the first page of the Wall Street Journal and then go through. Another thing that I enjoyed reading, sports. I feel like sports reporters are some of the best journalists ever. And I think because they have to describe in writing a game and make it real in someone's imagination, right? So think about talking about, you know, hitting a ball and it floating in the air. And, you know, again, they have to have just such wonderful imaginations that I feel like sports reporters are by far some of the best reporters in the business. I think also when you ask about what people need to do, they need to network, they need to put themselves out there and they also need to get the experience. One thing that I tell people all the time is I did, I had five internships when I was in college. And before that, I worked, um, I, my first job was actually in PR for a music festival that's held in my town. And I did that for free. Being able to get experience that can add to what they're learning is key. And also being able to get the experience and, and not thinking that you're going to come in and just take over the entire company, but you're gonna do what you need to do to get the experience that you need to get.
0: Yeah, no great advice. One other thing um, that's very unique about you, you've always been a great partner to work with. Like you tell us what we needed to do, but you always came with solutions, you know? And as you said, you know a lot about a lot of things.
1: A little
0: about a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah, a little, maybe, in your opinion, a little. We felt you knew a lot about a lot of things because it was very helpful to have that dialogue. So that's something I feel is very uniquely you. Are there other values or other traits that you think are important to you and that you have tried to incorporate in your work, in your life?
1: Yeah, I think um, one of the things that's most important to me is that this might sound a little bit weird, but I do not lie. I try to tell the truth at all times, even when it's not in my best interest. And you know how sometimes you'd be like, oh, I don't feel like doing this call. I'm just going to say I had another meeting or, you know, or, oh, and it's like a little white lie turns into something else. And what I found is the truth is just so much simpler, you know, there's only one it's- version You only need one version. You don't have to remember what you told somebody. You don't have to, you know, kind of go back and double check and, you know, and try to make sure you got your story right. And so the truth is just so easy. So tell the truth. And I try to tell the truth with everything. So even if it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I saw you called, but I just couldn't pick up. It's not I couldn't pick up because I was doing X, Y, and Z. I wasn't available, you know, and so really giving yourself permission to say yes, when you want to say yes, but then also to say no. And sometimes I've found that I don't need to over explain things and try to, you know, give myself reasons. Sometimes it's okay for me to just say no and be good with that.
0: Um, during this time, did you have any role models?
1: Yeah. I mean, when I tell you my mother is a rock star, she, she really is just my everything. I mean, I can't, I can't overemphasize enough how watching her strength has just totally impacted my life. And from when she got divorced and then she met this man who just embraced us as the, you know, she met, he met this single mother with three daughters and, you know, he had kids, but he just took us in and loved us. And then they were beautiful together. And, you know, you think that you're going to watch them grow old together and then he gets diagnosed with brain cancer and passes away at 52. It was, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever dealt with in my life. And not just because it was with my mother and with my stepfather who When I got married, my my real father walked me halfway down the aisle. My stepdad met us in the middle. And then I, I walked down the aisle with both of them. So that's how close I was to this man. But at the same time, I was going through my divorce. And because my stepdad was sick, I'll never forget, I didn't want to tell my mother because I didn't want her to be worried about me when she had her husband to deal with. And I'll never forget, like, there was just one day that I just could not take it anymore. And I was just like, I just need to talk to my mother. I just want to, you know, just tell her what's going on, but I don't want to burden her. And I remember praying. I said, God, you know, I'm not going to call her on her phone. I'm going to FaceTime her. So if she doesn't pick up on FaceTime, then I'm not supposed to tell her. But if she picks up, I can tell her. So the phone rings and... And it's, it's the FaceTime going. And so she doesn't pick up on the first string, not on the second, not on the third. And then I was just about to hit in and she's like, hey, baby. And I just start crying and she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I have something to tell you. And she was like, are you expecting? It? And I was like, no. <laughs> you know, we can laugh about this now because it's it's been over 10 years now, but um, at that time, my mother and I kind of crossed a new threshold together because at the, we, we were both losing our husbands at the same time. And, you know, when you go through something like a divorce, it, it is like a death of a chapter in your life. So when you talk about a hero, how she dealt with the, the, the cancer that her husband had and how she was still able to nurture me as her grown child is a level of strength and compassion that, you know, it it really makes me emotional right now because I would not be where I am without that strength and without growing up and seeing that strength and without her saying, look, you can, you will be okay. And you can do this. She's my, she's my rock.
0: It's really fortunate to have a mother who's so strong and so supportive and you also mentioned, you know, when you were traveling, she would bring your son and, you know, stay with you. Were there challenges raising a kid while you had a demanding job with um, the travel involved?
1: Yeah. And even even before we got um, divorced, we, we got help. And I think about a lot of moms now and I have a lot of um, mothers with young children on my team and fathers with young children, too, as they've adapted to COVID. And I honestly do not know what I would have done had my son been four or five. And, you know, we're trying to do all of this now. I admire those mothers and fathers so much because it's different from when I was, you know, my job was international. Right. So not only did I need someone to help pick up my son from school, but also to cook dinner. To, to help with the laundry, to do those things. And I didn't have a full-time nanny, but I also, I had her three days a week. And then luckily my ex-husband's mother agreed to help us two days a week. So not only did I have the nanny who I still, I talked to her on Sunday, like we still stay in touch. And um, I had Ian's grandmother. So again, I feel one of the things that has helped make me as successful as I am is that I've always had a village and I am so grateful for that village and, and just don't, I I would not be here if it weren't for my son's grandmother, who, again, I talk to all the time and his grandfather who helped me raise him as well as my mother and as well as my nanny and my support system. And so much so when I was named the noble Nordic working mother of the year, I took my ex-husband's mother, my son's grandmother and my mother to the award ceremony because they helped me do that. And I, there's no question about it.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. Three powerful women, strong women.
1: There's a picture that we have um, with me with both of my son's grandmothers, my my son and my partner at the award. And it's my favorite picture. I, I have it right over there because they helped me get there.
0: I think I saw it in LinkedIn. You had yeah. posted one picture. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. That, that was a great picture. It, yeah. it tells a story by itself, right? Yeah. To your point, you know, it takes a village. So they were all supportive. They were and-
1: all supportive. And it was just such a great moment, too. And I really wanted... Charlotte. That's her name to experience it with me. And I needed to give her credit for it. And
0: that speaks to your being true. Yep. Incredible. So were there instances where you had naysayers? Did you believe in yourself? And did everybody else around you believe in your capabilities?
1: Oh, gosh, Um, particularly when I was, you know, reporting, because it's a very kind of cutthroat type of You know, you got to get the story right. You gotta do what you gotta do to get the to get the news. And so, I've definitely been in challenging situations, but I've also been in situations, even in my current you know career, where I didn't always know what to say or what to do. But I I always kind of felt like I could get through it. And I had one manager um, who you know who gave me advice one time that I'll never forget. And it was because we were in a meeting. Uh, most people had already said something and then like towards the end I made a comment and after the meeting he was like just want to give you some feedback you know you can take it for what you want he was like but in the meeting so and so had said this so and so had said this and then you said this which really wasn't that different than what the other people had said so all I'm saying is pay attention to what other people are saying around you and if you're in the room You already deserve to be there, right? So don't feel like just because you haven't said something that you just need to make a comment and to say something just because you're there. Because if you're there, then you're supposed to be there. And I'll never forget that because for me, you know, you know what type of personality I have, right? You know, kind of like I'm a brainstormer and everything else. And so what I realized from that comment is that sometimes your silence speaks more than you, you know, coming up with this bold, bright idea because it gives you time to reflect. And so when you do say something, people listen.
0: And were there instances where you felt you were not even heard? Like you said something, but nobody acknowledged it. Any instances like that? Every woman
1: I know has that that instance where, you know, it's like, oh, I have an idea. And you say this idea. And somebody's like, okay, okay, okay. And then like five minutes later, a man or anybody will say something. And they'll be like, what the hell? You know, I know I just said that. And then you look at somebody else and they're looking at you like, yeah, girl, you said it first, but... (laughs) I mean, I, I can't even, it's, it's interesting. And, and so I was talking about this not too long ago of how do you do that? Because that's the classic example of a microaggression, right? And so um, what, what I have learned in, in my experience now is when that does happen, it doesn't happen that often anymore, but when it does is to follow up immediately and you say, thank you for reiterating what I just said a few minutes ago. So now let's go back to it and you have to reclaim your, your idea. You have to reclaim your space. And it's not that sometimes it's not done with malicious intent, but it also makes me mindful that I don't do that to anyone else. So particularly when I'm in meetings, especially with women, I want to give people their power. I want to give them their acknowledgement and make sure that they hear me acknowledging them. Because just as important that it is for their bosses or anybody else to acknowledge them, it means so much for other women to see women supporting each other. So that's something Absolutely. that I always try to do.
0: No, that's that's so true, that's so true. I've had instances like that too. <laughs> You're right. The first time you're like, well, what just happened? Like, what? Maybe what? It was a <laughs>
1: how, wait, wait, I don't understand. Yeah.
0: So talking about, you know, these perceptions, um, a lot of times there are certain perceptions about women. Um, have you had instances where you kind of had to face these typical perceptions? And how did you deal with that?
1: You know, I think, yes, as a woman, but then as a Black woman, Um, we deal with that even more so because there is this underlying or unwritten rule that we can only say so much or we can only go so far before we uh, get unfairly labeled as angry. And then there's this term, this angry Black woman, right? And so there's a, a fine line and a balance that we have of wanting to be assertive, wanting to be bold, wanting to be confident, but yet also not wanting to hurt anybody's feelings and not wanting to make people feel uncomfortable. After a certain point, I think you get comfortable enough in your, in your skin and in yourself to say, I, don't, I shouldn't have to undermine my confidence to make you feel better my intelligence to make you feel better, my education to make you feel better. Because if you feel bad about yours, then that's on you. But I'm not going to lessen mine to make you feel better. And it's not a, a boastfulness or anything like that. But really, you have to learn to believe in yourself. You have to learn to believe in what you're saying. But in that belief, you also have to be prepared you also have to be able to back up what you say. And as long as you're doing the things that you need to do to be prepared, then there is no reason why you should ever have to minimize what it is that you're doing and say what it is that you wanna say to get your point across. Any other mistakes that you see women make, typically? Oh my God, I hate when people apologize for something that they didn't do. And it's like, you know, I'm sorry, um, but I just need to ask a question. Why are you sorry for asking a question? Or I'm sorry, um, you're having a bad day. My day is not something for you to be sorry about. Like, I, there's one woman on my team, who we've been working on this and she is amazing and she's so good, but she apologizes. For everything. And finally, I was like, I'm going to start a quarter jar for you. So every time you say, I'm sorry, but then it didn't work. So I was like, it's a dollar. Every time is a dollar in your jar that you have to put in there every time you say, I'm sorry. So I think women in general show a sign of insecurity that they don't even have. But if you start off a conversation with, I'm sorry, that automatically puts you on a lower plane than someone who doesn't. Another thing that I was just talking to a colleague about a couple of weeks ago was his job was open and someone reached out about the role. And the first thing that the woman said was, I know I'm probably not qualified for this role, but I wanted to, I wanted you to know that I was interested in it. And the man told me, he was like, why do women do that? And I said, I don't know, because we shouldn't do that. And there's no reason that a woman should, uh, should start off a conversation with, I know I'm not qualified. Men don't do that. Men don't ever say, I'm not qualified for this role, so I'm not going to apply. A man would say, okay, yeah, there are 10 things on here. I've done two, but I'm going to go ahead and put my name on the, in the list. Throw my hat in the ring. And would say nothing about it and then would get the job that a woman might have eight out of 10. And because we don't have 10 out of 10, we don't even apply.
0: You're also involved uh, with the Boys and Girls Club of Mercer County. Great organization. So how did you get involved with this organization and what does it really mean to you?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited about this. I joined the board in November 2020. I was honored to be asked to join. And I have been doing volunteer work with the Boys and Girls Club through um, my company and just in volunteering with our employee resource groups. I would go to career fairs. They would have things in the garden. And um, I've always had a bit of a, a tender spot For kids. And I believe, didn't we? We actually participated in a mentoring program, right? You know, kids from high high school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we did that together. So I've always wanted to give back. And so this to me is something that I'm really excited about. And it's it's crazy. I've been on the board since last year. I actually have not been able to go to the club because of COVID. So I think my first trip to the club is going to be um, in May. But um, I'm super excited to meet the kids, even virtually, you know, they're doing just such amazing things and giving back and talking to the children and making sure that they are aware of the opportunities outside of their four walls and outside of their, their block and the street around them. And the Boys and Girls Club has done so much for so many people across this country. So, you know, it's really the least that I could do to make sure that I stay connected. And um, it it keeps me grounded in knowing what's important. So I'm glad to be able to be on the other side to help make decisions that will ultimately, you know, help a lot of children.
0: It's an amazing organization. And I'm so glad they actually have you on board now, because that's going to definitely be a huge difference for them. Thank you. Any advice for women, girls who are coming out of school that want to be leaders like you one day, especially girls who are of color? I'd say dream big.
1: Don't let anybody tell you no. Do the work. Be humble, but be confident. Be brave. Ask for help um, and know your limitations, but also know when you need to go for it. Don't be afraid to take a risk. Fail, but fail fast and know what you need to do to turn it around and then just have fun. All great pieces of advice.
0: Thank you so much, Ambre. It was such fun talking to you.
1: This was awesome.